I can't overstress the importance of maybe finding that one diverse group of people who's on that journey with you in some way and getting to know, you know, a handful of people. And those handful of people are going to be the ones that introduce you to another handful of people and then another handful. And before you know it, you've got a web of connections that you can tap into as things grow. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. I'm your co-host, Nikki Ballou. And I'm the other co-host, Michael Palmer. And boy, do we have an absolutely amazing and epic episode lined up for you today. Our guest today is the creator of the Introvert Entrepreneur Movement. She has a program by that name. She has a book by that name. And she has an award-winning podcast also by that name. I'm speaking, of course, of none other than the great Beth Bilo. Hello, Beth. Hi, Nikki. I love that introduction. I want to take you with me everywhere I go. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. There you go. That's That's amazing. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. We're so happy to to have have you. So happy to have you. I know that you know Michael. Uh, This is the first time I'm going to get to know you. But uh, one of the questions that we like to lead every episode off with is, this podcast is about the business end of thought leadership. And while your actual thought leadership is interesting to our thought leaders, what's even more interesting to them is how you've managed to commercialize it and how you've mm-hmm. taken that expertise and turned it into making the difference you were born to make while making a lot of money. So could you go ahead and tell us your backstory around all that? Yeah, it's a it's a very different backstory, or actually, it's probably very typical in that it the path to entrepreneurship and being a thought leader is not always clear cut, is it? You're not you're not born saying I want to be a thought leader, um, <laughs> and um, so I started out as a musician, and that led to arts administration, which led to nonprofit management, which led to consulting and coaching. So it it seems um, disparate, but it's actually a pretty clear path when I look back on all of it. And when I look at, you know, as a coaching consultant, I started out by saying, I'm not, you know, I don't have a coaching business. I have a personal growth, you know, personal development business. And I think that was one of the distinguishing features that allowed me to look at it a little bit differently than I saw my fellow coaches doing and start to develop those pieces of the business that felt like they would be positioning my message to reach as many people as possible. If that makes if that makes sense, totally, um, totally makes sense. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a, I just noticed that so many people saying, you know, I have a coaching business, and I thought, no, I, you know, I want to think a little bit bigger than that, um, and that there's not there's nothing wrong with having a coaching business. Don't get me wrong, but I think that especially if you have a specific message that you want to share, it's I think the more specific the message, the more expansive you need to think about how you are disseminating that message. And that was one of my goals in the beginning. And that's why the book and the podcast and other things came about. 
We love that. You know, one of the things Michael and I always say is don't put yourself in a box by just calling yourself a coach. And we actually learned this from exactly. a couple of mentors of our own out of Australia, uh, Peter Cook and Matt Church, who created a thought leaders business school over there, is if you just call yourself a coach, people are going to think that you deliver what you do in that one-on-one fashion that coaches do. While if you don't call yourself a coach, and if you instead focus on, you know, you as an expert, then you're absolutely going to have exponentially greater leverageable opportunities for you to deliver your expertise. And those are going to be way more commercially viable, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's funny because sometimes I feel like I have to, I have so much else going on that I'm like, hey, I'm a coach too. <laughs> um, so, you know, as much as possible trying to show up as coach, you know, it's, it's the show don't tell um, piece. And so therefore through the book, through the podcast, those are my biggest lead generators. And in those, I don't talk a lot about being a coach, but people, uh, you know, when I do mention it and when I do show up in that capacity, then it organically and naturally attracts the people that are ideally suited to working with me. Yeah, I I totally agree. And that's what I loved about when I first got to meet you and have you on uh, another podcast was I looked at your website and there's nothing about coaching. It's only about the people that have would consider themselves to be introverted and how they can be successful out in, mm-hmm. in their businesses. And I just love that. And, you know, if you scroll way down to the bottom, you can see that you, you know, you've got all the certifications and credentials from the International Coach Federation, and that's great, but they'd right. have to really dig to find it. So you've led with this great mm-hmm. message, which is attracting people very specific to the work that you do. And I just love your website as well. It's very clear. And so when did you, you know, you, 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 when you got in and you started working on this, what were some of those early struggles that you faced building your platform and your message? Well, part of it is inherent in, in being an introvert, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're not defined by shyness or social skills. That's a that's a big misperception. So it would be easy for me to say that it was all about, you know, I felt too shy to talk about myself or, or those sorts of things. And, and that wasn't necessarily it. It was more, especially in the beginning, you want as many people as possible to know what you're doing. And that's the part that gets exhausting is the, the projecting your energy outward. So I, I felt very fortunate, actually. I'm here in the Seattle area and there was an organization called Biznick that was all about entrepreneurs that were maybe in the first one to three years of forming their business or zero to three, really. And I was new in town. That was the other challenge is that it was a a completely new community. I didn't know anyone. So hooking into that networking organization that was basically, you know, sort of uh, based on neighborhood events and members putting on events. I can basically trace back everybody I know today to having met them in those first six months to a year of being in business. So one of the, the bigger challenges was, you know, finding what's the right group or community to hook into that is going to feel like it is in sync with my own introvert energy, that I feel energized by interacting with them and not drained. And I feel fortunate that I found them. Um, Unfortunately, that particular group in the business um, company isn't around anymore. But I can't overstress the importance of maybe finding that one diverse group of people who shares, who's on that journey with you in some way and getting to know, you know, a handful of people and those handful of people 
people are going to be the ones that introduce you to another handful of people and then another handful. And before you know it, you've got a web of connections that you can tap into as things grow. So the biggest challenge was finding that group. But once you found that group, it was uh, a lot easier. It, it really formed the foundation for everything that followed. That's brilliant. You know, you said a couple of things in the answers you've given that we really believe in very strongly. First of all, the power of a peer group, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people in this whole game of thought leadership and experts, they try to do things alone. They do things by themselves. And that's death because, you know, the mind can be a very dangerous place to go in by yourself. It can (laughs) really start Mm -hmm. to have doubts creep in. It can start you, uh, have you be down that road of thinking you're not valuable enough. And and you tend to think smaller when you're by yourself. But when you're with peers, they'll see the greatness within you better than you can see it within yourself. You'll learn from them. They'll bring resources to bear that you can Mm -hmm. use to push yourself forward. And You spoke a little earlier about using your book and your podcast as lead generators. Could you expand on that, on how you do that and how our listener can learn from you and apply that for themselves? Yeah, the podcast was one of the very first things that I launched right out the gate. And this was back in 2010 in the summer. And I don't think I realized it at the time that that was on the early edge of the podcast. You know, what now is, you know, well, of course you have a podcast. Hmm. And back then it was something of a, of a novelty and certainly amongst my coach colleagues. And I set it up from the beginning to be an interview based, just like we're doing here. And you can probably speak to this as well that especially for me as an introvert, it made it so much easier to reach out to other people, especially to other people that I perceived to be way further along on the path than I was. Those thought leaders where I felt like I was not yet a thought leader and it gave me something to offer them. And in return, of course, then I got the sort of credibility by association Mm, (laughs) and, um, and had a partner in promoting the message, not just their message, but my message as well. Because the other piece that's important as you're thinking about, you know, doing a book or doing it, well, especially a podcast and if you do it interview-based is, and this is if you want to be establishing yourself as a thought leader to make sure you do interject your own thoughts into it. That it's not just, you know, a Q&A that um, is completely 100% centered on the guest. You absolutely put the guest front and center, but you also take advantage of that platform, you know, the before and after the interview or, you know, events surrounding it or in the way you promote it to be able to share your own thoughts um, so that people get to know you as well. And I think that is where the power of the podcast in particular comes into play for me as a lead generator. Because by the time a client comes, you know, a potential client comes to me for an information call. So often when I ask or if they just volunteer, you know, how did they connect with me? It was, I've listened to your podcast for a long time and I feel like I know you (laughs) because there's some, there's an intimacy. There's something different about people hearing your voice, hearing your stories, hearing you laugh, hearing you stumble over words, maybe even hearing you tear up and cry. They really get to know you in a different way than they do if it's, um, you know, just a a blog or or something that's a little bit more passive or less intimate than this. And I I look at my podcast and I say it's also was pivotal 
absolutely pivotal to getting a book deal um, because it demonstrated that I had that capacity to reach out to other people, to, you know, share my thoughts, to establish an audience, to be consistent with something that was not a small amount of work to put out there. So those were all things that, you know, in being intentional and strategic about, you know, not just slapping out an episode, but really thinking about what is my intention for this and what is my hope for it, that doing something like creating a podcast can be, again, you know, very foundational to everything else that you want to do. And a podcast might not be it for everybody. It might be that you're doing videos or it might be a blog or, you know, some other thing. But the important thing is to be consistent about it, to be very intentional, to know what your purpose is and to to see it as that platform to build your own thought leadership, even as you bring other people into your universe. That's genius. Well said. And you know what? Hint, hint. Michael and I would love to be guests on your podcast sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You know, Beth, uh, I like what you said about the the interaction between your guests and yourself. And I think it's an interesting road to sort of go down here for a second in, in terms of it just made me think of talk radio. And I love that with podcast today, the technology, people are listening to podcasts in the car. It's, the, it's really, it's this perfect storm going on where it's people like you and, and ourselves, Nikki and I, where we actually can have a voice and actually have quite a, a, a big, large following very quickly. But that idea of talk radio where the host is actually, he's bringing his opinion and he's inter- interacting with, with the guests and, and it allows us to build a relationship with both the guest and the host. So I think I really like that uh, uh, quite a bit. Now, your thought leadership, I'd like to just talk a little bit about how you help entrepreneurs through your, your being an introvert and, and a little bit of that. You shared w- with me on my last podcast. Can you share a little bit of that with how you help folks? Yeah. And, you know, introverts are, when it first started out, we were sort of uh, on the margins, right? There were a few books, a handful of books that were excellent that were speaking to the introvert dilemma, particularly, and I see this with introvert entrepreneurs, the dilemma of see me, don't see me. (laughs) Um, You know, look at me, don't look at me. Introverts who are drawn to entrepreneurship, and those are the folks that I primarily support and serve as a guide to, they have that sort of tug of war and that tension of, I really have something important that I need to put out there in the world. And at the same time, it exhausts me to do it. Um, I can get energized by it, but there's, you know, people, you know, (laughs) I get up and then people. It can really start to uh, nick away at their energy and start to compromise kind of their ability to be putting out that very important message. So there's that tension that they feel. And where I step in is to try to provide those kinds of resources and support and guidance to say it is possible to get your message out there, but to do it in such a way that honors your energy and honors the strengths that you inherently have. And oftentimes, key to that whole process is being clear that your introversion is not something that gets in the way. It's actually something that can support you and be of of use to you. Um, So it starts with self-acceptance. You know, people will come and say, I need help networking or I need help marketing or selling. But what it really often comes down to first and foremost is 
I need to look within myself and figure out what is the approach that is going to be most aligned with my strengths and my natural preferences. What do I need to accept about myself and the way I work that might be different than what I'm told by other people or what I see demonstrated by my peers? What do I need to accept and then leverage and amplify so that I can do the marketing and networking and sales in a way that does give me energy and that also puts my message out there. That's great. From you you creating this, we didn't get into specifically how you came up with, like why the introverted entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. It, it came, it was one of those aha moments that happened over a period of about six months. (laughs) So, you know, when I first started out coaching, they tell you, okay, come be a life coach. Come train to be a life coach. And then you get there and they say, oh, but you can't call yourself a life coach. You have to have a niche, right? Um, Life coach is too squishy, too broad, too woo-woo. But you, so you have to define your audience. And I really struggled with that um, because when I first went into it, as I mentioned before, my background was in music and arts administration and nonprofit management. So I thought, I'm going to be a coach for leaders of nonprofit organizations. And that's what I went into my coach training, believing that that was going to be my target market. But somehow it was not calling to me. It was one of those things where it's like, I know what to do, so why am I not doing it? And it took me a while to really listen to that and say, okay, you know, something is not clicking here. So I'm going to kind of release that idea and see what shows up. But instead of releasing it and seeing what shows up, I continue to try to force it a bit. And I call that period my niche du jour period, um, or that I had <laughs> nice. niche deficit disorder. <laughs> oh my I God, that's I, funny. <laughs> niche deficit disorder. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> because it was like every day I'm like, okay, I'm going to try doing, you know, women in transition, or I'm going to do people who want to change the world, or, you know, <laughs> oh I, I kept God. experimenting with all of these different it's niches and nothing was really... It's an epidemic. Thinking. It was an epidemic, exactly. I needed inoculation, big time. And finally, I just realized, okay, Beth, you know, you've only been doing this for six months or so, or a year. You haven't really had enough time to figure out who you are as coach and therefore who you're going to be attracting. So just really, truly this time, let it go and just see who shows up. And one day, it was like December of 2009, I believe, I sat down and I said, okay, I'm just going to write out profiles of all of my clients. So I wrote down, I think I was working with about eight people at the time. And I I wrote down, you know, their, their, what they came to coaching for, what their profession was, their age, their gender, where they lived, um, what their job was, uh, what kinds of things came up in coaching, um, what their values were. And I was looking for themes, of course, and I wasn't really finding any. But because I've had this long standing since before graduate school, but it kind of peaked in graduate school, this interest in personality types and in the introvert extrovert spectrum, I wrote down in the margins just to guess, you know, do I think they're an introvert or an extrovert? And I noted that like seven out of the eight were introverts. And I said, huh, well, that's interesting. And I closed the notebook and put it away. And it was about six months later that I was at a workshop where the facilitator was talking about 
demographics and your target market. And she brought up psychographics, which is more about, you know, uh, your market's values and interests and lifestyle than it is necessarily, you know, age, gender, profession, location, that sort of thing. And I don't know if she said personality or if I just sort of heard personality in my head, but I had that notebook with me that I had done those profiles. And so I'm flipping through it and I, and I, I'm like literally, you know, putting my finger down the, the profiles. I'm like introvert, introvert, introvert. And I think I raised my hand and I said, I coach introverts. <laughs> and that was that. It was a very um, intuitive hit. It was truly like one of those aha light bulb moments. And fortunately, I had a few people in the room who were friends of mine who were witnesses to this. And what was beautiful about it was that I didn't feel this need to overthink it. I didn't rush back to my computer and say, okay, you know, I've got to research this to death and make sure nobody else is doing it or that lots of people are doing it to prove that it's viable. Um, it just was. It just mm. was there. And as soon as I identified that niche, and as soon as I also, you know, put together introvert entrepreneur, and I have to admit, it's like those two words just kept popping into my head, like introvert entrepreneur, <laughs> introvert entrepreneur. It's beautiful because it describes who I am and it describes who I am likely to be of best service to. So it served that double purpose. And indeed, when I got back to my computer, you know, nobody had taken the introvertentrepreneur.com, which is always a sign, right? When your URL is available. Yep. And there were maybe two or three people that I could find in the coaching field that were even mentioning introverts as part of their market. So to me, that wasn't discouraging. That was like, woohoo, <laughs> you know, I found a spot because I knew in my gut that there was a place for that message. So that's that's kind of how it how it was born. And once I identified it, then I started getting, you know, a journalist contacting me and saying, hey, I saw on Twitter that you work with introverts and I'm working on this story. Can you give me a quote? That right there, I was like, okay, that is the power of being very clear about who you serve because it makes it easy for people to find you and to uh, tap into your expertise. Beth, I swear we should take this recording that you just did and put it in our next training, Michael, because that's exactly, <laughs> succinctly, brilliantly, beautifully put. And it explains why our listener listens to this podcast, because they mm. want to hear from an expert like you who's figured out how powerful having a succinct, direct niche message targeted at a very narrow, definable community of people that absolutely resonate with you as people that you were born to serve and are mm -hmm. absolutely people who could use your help and have a problem that you can solve. And your story right now encapsulated that brilliantly. We have a, oh, a, a client Michael and I work with. His name is Dan. He's actually been on our Success Leaves Clues segment that we do after some of our episodes. And Dan was a fitness trainer who used to work with anybody and everybody. And mm -hmm. uh, he, he had to bus it all over town. So it gives you a sense of how well he was doing at, at, at that time, right? To go see his clients. Yeah. And then he worked with us and we helped him figure out that his message was that he helps people uh, with disabilities who are missing limb. And oh, let wow. me tell you, 
Not a lot of people do that in the fitness world. So you, you know what you yeah. said before about not a lot of people were going after introverts? So Dan uh, had a fellow he was working with who was a Paralympian with a missing limb. And all of a sudden, Dan went from seven clients to 18, from 18 to 85, from 85 to 153. And now he's just over 200 in wow. 11 months. And he doesn't do the one-on-one -on -one busing at all over town anymore. <laughs> mm, I bet not. <laughs> you know That's fantastic. I mean? And thank you for explaining it so succinctly for, for our listener, Beth. Oh, it it was really, really brilliantly done. So when you're out there serving your clients, um, how have you honed in on the problem that they really most want solved by you? How'd you figure that out? I think it's because I share their pain. <laughs> you know, Is that like Bill Clinton, I, I feel your pain? <laughs> I feel your pain. I know. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I do, you know, because I'm an introvert myself. You know, I, I am my ideal client. And, and I don't pretend that I have the answers. I am on the journey with them. And usually, though, and ideally, <laughs> I'm a few steps ahead. You know, mm. I've I've been where my client has been and come out the other side in some way, or at least have gotten further along in figuring it out. So my own willingness and actually uh, responsibility and and compulsion to to be vulnerable with them mm. helps, I think, to reveal those pain points a little bit more readily. Um, it, it, it creates safety. And so that's that's part of it is, you know, to, in order to connect with what it is that is driving them to seek out support, it's to, you know, recognize that that I'm asking them to be vulnerable, so I, I'm vulnerable to my own in, in my own way. Um, not to the extent that it becomes about me or my agenda, but just that I can say, you know, I I've been there and I get it. I totally get it. And with me, you have that safe space to be completely honest about what's going on. Um, so the pain point is going to be, you know, different for everybody. And certainly there are, are there are themes, especially amongst the introverts, around you know, vulnerability of being seen by others. The common thing is I don't like to talk about myself or I don't like all the attention to be on me, but yet I know that that's got to be part of the process if I'm going to succeed in the way that I want to. So that's an example of one of those pain points and themes that comes up. And again, that's perhaps the presenting problem. But if you go a little bit deeper, it has to do with trust. And so in that respect, like I said, you know, it's it, 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 whatever is out there on the surface, really, you can kind of backpedal a little bit and say, well, it has more to do with what's going on inside your head than what's going on outside of your space. And so being able to, you know, be there with them, be that guide, be that witness and create the safety is what enables those vulnerabilities and pain points to come out. Beautiful. Yeah, that's great. You know, Beth, uh, you know, one of the f first things I did when I met you was I went, and, I went to your website. And right away, you know, it's a great website. It looks great. The message is very clear. You've got your book there. You've got this awesome call to action, amplify your awesome, you know, get help you identify and amplify your in invert strengths. You've got um, your different programs. You've got your podcast. You know, you're, you are one of those that have really put it all together really well. What have been some of your 
your, your secrets to getting this far? First, I think it's believing in my message <laughs> very, very strongly. Um, feeling a deep down conviction that this is a message that is important and this changes people. And part of it is is keeping the focus on that. Um, one of the things I talk about in my book and often talk about with clients, of course, is defining success for yourself. And the key, I think, to creating something that is sustainable and and ultimately successful is that you have taken that time to say, what, what does success look like for me? And in my case, and what has enabled me to create those things and to keep going is that it's about and this sounds a little bit cliche, but you know, it's about impact. I, I read once an author who wrote, and he was he was speaking about um, sermons. Actually, you know, he was he was saying, as he thinks about how well he's preaching from the pulpit, um, the question he asks himself at the end of the day is not how did I do, but did anything change? And I think as if I was always focusing on how did I do, how did I do, how many followers, how many likes, how many sales, you know, all of that, those things are all important. But if I was, if I was, if those were my metrics, then I think I would have probably burned out and gotten discouraged and, and sort of folded it up and went home a long time ago. Hmm. But by finding success and, and saying, no, it's about changing behavior, changing beliefs, changing stories. If I'm getting sort of a steady feedback loop that tells me that that's happening, then I can keep going and then I can keep creating. And I know that the message is hitting home for the people that I really want to reach. So it's not about, you know, it doesn't keep me going and motivated to say, wow, I'm winning here. You know, this is great. It keeps me going when I get the occasional email that says, wow, you know, your book really meant a lot to me. Or I just listened to that episode of the podcast and it really shifted the way I was thinking about this thing in my life. It doesn't take much, but every time I get one of those, it's like I get this little whoosh, you know, of energy that helps me to keep going and keep creating and keep putting it out there. I love it. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. You know, Beth, one of the ways in which we like to end our episodes with each of our guests is to ask them what are their top three expert action steps that they would recommend our listener take action on in order to take their thought leadership and the commercialization of it to the next level. So would you go ahead and do that now? Yeah. First, it would be define to piggyback on what I just said. Take the time to define success for yourself, and even question if you feel like, well, I know what my measure of success is. Just take a few minutes to, or a few hours, or a few days, or weeks, to really examine that and turn it inside out and make sure: is this my definition of success? It's not what I read in a magazine. It's not what my parents said success was. It's not what my teacher or mentor said. It's what I believe. Um, So first, define success for yourself. Um, Second, and this is something I'm still still working on, is um, take time to reflect. And you see a theme here about reflection, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, take time to reflect on all of the information that you're gathering in, I think as as thought leaders and as entrepreneurs and, and people who care about information, we're constantly taking in other people's voices. And what can happen if we're not careful is 
we just turn those voices outward and we become a megaphone for everybody else. Hmm. And our goal as thought leaders is to come up with those, and I almost put original in quotes because an original idea is is probably something of a rare bird. It's more, when I say original thought, it's that you have taken what you have learned and synthesized it and put it through the filter of your own experience, adapted it for your own audience and your own message so that it is somewhat original. You know, take the time to do that. I remember I was being interviewed for a podcast a few months ago, and I think within the span of like five minutes, I quoted Dan Pink and Brene Brown and Oprah, you know, or something like that. And I realized afterwards, I thought, wow, I was just being a megaphone for everybody else instead of having sat with what I learned from those folks and create, you know, made it into what do I think about that? How do I apply that? How can my audience? And my clients apply that. So to really, you know, be careful that you're not just amplifying everyone else and thinking that that's being a thought leader. It's really about taking that and making those thoughts your own. And then lastly, you know, there's, when we're putting our thoughts together and before we share them, there's like this, there's a space between the idea that you have and the message that you want to share and the execution of that idea. And that's a very vulnerable space because that's the place of both possibility and, you know, in that space, everybody loves your idea. Everybody thinks you're brilliant. Your book is a bestseller. Your podcast is a top 10. You know, nobody knows quite yet what it's going to be. And so it's perfect in that moment. It's also very vulnerable to all your gremlins of everybody's going to poke holes in this. Nobody's going to like it. Nobody's going to listen. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, those two things, there's a tension that coexists in that space between the idea and the execution. And in order to be a thought leader, you have to move to execution, right? Mm-hmm. It can't just stay in your head. And so to move through that space, that vulnerable space from a place of curiosity, Um, I often put it as instead of saying, I don't know what's going to happen, you know, and you kind of picture this sort of frantic person, just say, I wonder what's going to happen. Hmm. And as you move through that, you know, decide on the other side, which voices are you going to listen to? Which ones are you going to just let go and release attachment to the outcome, release attachment to how it's going to be received. Because in reality, you really have no idea what's going to happen. So really the only place to come from is curiosity in in my mind. So in all things, you know, I think this is a lesson for life is notice where you are attached to something happening a certain way or something being received in a certain way and release that attachment. And boy, the even as I'm saying that, it's like my shoulders are like sinking down and and not in a bad way, but just in a, oh, you know, that's a relief. I can take a breath because it releases so much pressure um, that I'm self-imposed on myself when I say, you know, I, I have a hope. I have an intention. I can put that out there, but I can't be attached to things happening a certain way in a certain time at a certain place. Um, I have to release that and come from curiosity and be open in order for me to, in order for this to really get out there in the world. Wow. That was awesome. So, Beth, <laughs> is there anything that you're up to 
that you would like to let our listener know about? Or is there anything you'd like to promote? Mm-hmm. Um, this is an opportunity yeah. to do that. Well, during 2016, I've run several virtual book groups for my book. And this is, I think, again, this is part of that whole um, establishing yourself as a thought leader is really getting behind the things that you are producing. So in 2017, I'm planning on continuing to run those virtual book groups. And it's a, you know, a five-week weekly call that I facilitate as the author of working through the introvert entrepreneur chapter by chapter. Um, because my intention with that book is not just that you read it and say, oh, that's interesting <laughs> and put it back on the shelf. Yep. The intention is that you put it into action. So that's my objective during 2017 is to really see, you know, how much action can we associate with that book? So I'm doing that through the virtual book group and um, information about that is on my website. That's fantastic. Well, Michael uh, and I will make sure those are put in our show notes. Thank you so much for being such a awesome, kick-ass guest. It was great <laughs> to you. have you on the show. <laughs> thank you so much, Nikki. And thank you, Michael. It was a great fun. It's great having you. So generous with all the information. So thank you so much. I know people are going to go to your website and really use it as a, a textbook example of how to position themselves really powerfully in the marketplace. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That wraps another episode of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. Please go to our website, thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. And as well, follow us on iTunes. Subscribe, leave us a review, let us know how we're doing. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.